Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. What feedback did you receive today to help you in your learning? This was the question I heard John Hattie ask students. It's a great question to see whether they are getting information that's going to help them grow and learn. Coupled with this, I also saw a Facebook post or meme asking, are the modern generation uncoachable? How good are we at giving and receiving feedback? Hi, I'm Karen Tui boys and I'm passionate about lifelong learning. And I'm Megan Gallagher, and at the heart of all I do, it's all about igniting your spark so you can live the best life you can right now with what you have. In this podcast today, we're talking about feedback, which I think is an incredibly powerful tool for every classroom toolbox. One of the big things about feedback that I think we often miss is how important relationships are. It's, it's, you know, it's really easy for us to sort of throw out a bit of praise here a little bit of criticism there, but without the relationship, the feedback doesn't get received. And I know that John Hattie also spoke not so very long ago, he was quoted at talking about the giving of, of feedback wasn't really at the heart of changing education or improving education, but what was at the heart was how that feedback was received and interpreted. And without the relationship, I think we run huge risk of losing the power of the feedback that we give. This reminds me of a story by Stephen Covey that he wrote in one of his books. He talks about one of his children emptying a dishwasher and dropping the glass on the floor. Now, I remember doing this as a child, and I remember being so scared I was going to be told off and bursting into tears. And his child burst into tears, and he looked at his child and said, you are more important than the glass. And I love this because it really speaks to the relationship that our children are more important than the feedback or the, well, not the feedback, the quality of work that they are producing. And so it's not all about feedback. As you say, it's the relationship first and then being able to make sure that we help them to grow. Absolutely. And I think I might've talked about it before when my son was little and he used to take his toast on a, on a plate and it would fall off and he would cry and feel bad about it because he loved his toast because the dog would eat it. There was no bringing, no coming back from that. So what we did was we put blocks on this blocks on a plate and he practiced carrying that. And when he could carry the blocks, then he got the toast again. And so, and, and it was constant. It was constantly about giving feedback, practicing, looking at how we hold the plate, but that was based in that relationship. Mm, absolutely. Auto Green in her book, Think Unique that we're doing for our book club right now, which is an amazing book, talks about discuss feedback with students. Ask them what is it? Ask yeah. them what's its purpose and then share with them the purpose of feedback. Because I think often we don't actually open up the, the curtain and, and let them know why we're giving them feedback. It often feels like criticism to the children. Ask yeah. them what kind of feedback is useful. I love that part. Absolutely. It's so empowering for students to be involved in those conversations. One of my all-time favourite tools that I use when, when I'm introducing the idea of feedback to my students 
is a video clip called Austin's Butterfly. And if you check it out, if you put in Austin's Butterfly in your search, it'll pop up. And, and we actually sit and we watch it together. We pause it. We look at the type of feedback. We look at what feedback we might have given Austin about his butterfly. And every single time I use it, and I might use it two or three times in a year to bring us back to discuss a little bit more about how we're doing our feedback or how, how we can receive feedback. Every time, the, the students are amazed with what this child can produce. And then, and then they make that link to the reason why this child produces this amazing picture at the end is because he, he received the feedback and, and he did something with it. Because I think that's the key, you know, I, I need to receive the feedback, but then I need to do something with it. So that's a wonderful tool to use. And that, that gives us the opportunity to really dig into what is feedback and how can we use it in our classroom. Mm, so it's about setting that classroom climate to ensure that it's a safe place for students to be able to give and receive that mm. feedback and to know that it's not an attack on them personally, to know that it's it's to help them grow and learn and what you talk about, Meg, to stretch and grow. Absolutely. That's my favourite thing, stretching and growing. And I love it when they come back and they go, oh, I'm stretching and growing. You go, yes. Nice. somehow made a difference and some of those things around that classroom climate again it's talking about if we're stretching and growing I, I, I actually make it really clear to my students right from the right from the get-go that if things aren't hard if you're not making mistakes if you are not having to, to to work and to ask for help and to receive help then I'm not doing my job as a teacher because I'm not setting the sorts of tasks that are stretching you and growing you and so if everything is easy, nobody's doing any work here. We're not actually actively learning. We're just practicing what we already know. And so that's, for me, that's, that's, a, that's like a baseline for our climate that we create in our classroom. And then it's about how do we help each other to stretch and grow? So mm. what, what's my role in this classroom as the teacher? What's my role in the classroom as a fellow student, a fellow learner, to ensure that everybody else can stretch and grow. So that's understanding about what other people need in order to make it a healthy learning environment. It's learning about volume. It's learning about sharing resources. It's learning about interacting interpersonally. So, you know, there's no reason and no space here for put downs. You know, if somebody makes a mistake, they've made a mistake because we're human. Let's look at how we can support and, each, and help each other to get through our mistakes, to learn from them, to build from them. Making sure that we're focusing in on on the learning process, not just the product at the end. And for us as teachers, I think that's a really, really important thing that we get really clear on what it is that we're looking for when we're giving praise and, and helping our students to move along in the learning process, that we're actually not just looking at what they produce at the end, because there's a whole process that goes in behind anything that we create. And, you know, like I like what you said before about making sure that the feedback isn't seen as a personal criticism. And, you know, our students come to us with a whole lot of history, a whole lot of their own understandings from different settings that they've been in, from different environments, from different ways that people have interacted with them. So doing some work around that growth mindset, the Carol Dweck's work, and really getting clear on who I am as a person is not defined by how good I am at X, Y, or Z, and by any feedback I get that that. I am as as a person. I am actually complete and whole and worthy right now. 
Mm, great message. I think a temperature check on your environment is, do your students celebrate their mistakes or do they hide them? Do you have students who put their arm over their work and then, you know, in front of their work so they you can't see what they're doing? Or do they are they happy to show that they've made mistakes? When they've made a mistake, do they have to have a rubber and rub it out so nobody can see it? Or do they, uh, you know, willingly just put one line through it and carry on? And so these are a couple of little temperature checks in your classroom as to see what is the climate, how much trust is there in you as the teacher and that relationship to be able to give feedback and for the students to make those mistakes. Karen, I remember as a as a young student in a woodwork class, not being able to use the, the little mini saws with a very thin blade, not being able to use it properly and breaking one. And I remember looking around and seeing somebody else get really told off for breaking them. So I took, I undid it, got a, got a replacement blade, put the replacement blade in, and I, I found a spot and I hid the one that I'd broken because I was so scared mm-hmm. of getting told off. And then I didn't ask for help in how to use the saw properly. And then I couldn't complete the task because I was too frightened that I was going to break another one. And so that that actually halted my learning right there and then. So I'm just making a mental note. If I need any woodwork done, I'm not asking you. Um, (laughs) No, don't ask me. That's why I'm not a carpenter. All all jokes aside, but actually it's really serious, right? Because at that point, as you said, your your learning was halted. And Mm. but that fear of being told off, that fear of making a mistake, that fear of being found out is real and strong in all of our classrooms for many of our children, because also we don't know what kind of background they've come from. And parents do their absolute best they can with the information they have. But if they're just looking at the end product, which Mm. is what happen for them and so it's what they know then they do that with their children too and so are they able to celebrate those mistakes so I think there's a lot of parent education I think the thing that really helps though is having explicit criteria and rubrics so I love the idea of co-creating these with children and you can do this from five years old and they're printing what does good printing look like what does bad or poor printing look like you know, what does, what would a great project look like? What would a, you know, medium size or medium effort project look like? And get children to put in criteria. Obviously, you can feed some in as well because you are the educator and you are the teacher who knows what they need to be able to do. But really what we're doing is helping them to know the bounds and what what is expected because that makes it easier to reach. But then I love this idea that, if they start evaluating each other's work, then they actually learn the criteria even more. I'll tell you what, as a teacher, for me, marking children's work, I think I learn more from marking the children's work sometimes than I actually do from teaching it, particularly if I start seeing the same mistakes over and over again, because then I'm like, oh, that's actually feedback to me. Obviously, I wasn't clear in how to do this because all the students have made the same sort of errors in this work. So having that strong, explicit criteria and rubrics can be useful. That made me think actually also, Karen, about exemplars. Yeah. So having, having examples, having models, having anchor charts so that our, our students can actually go back, they can look at these exemplars and they can go, oh, right, 
So that's what I'm aiming for. So, you know, they've got they've got a model there and those anchor charts to just give them the reminders of what they need to look for. You know, I used to have one for handwriting, for example, you know, date at the top, writing on the line, start at the margin, all those little things that they needed to remember so that then they could say, well, they they've they've done all the little bits. And that's part of that early sort of rubric work. The other thing is that with feedback is, and I know in the classroom, and our classrooms can be incredibly busy, and we've got lots of people there, but the sooner we can give the feedback, and the sooner they can receive it, the better it is because it's more meaningful. And I think that's where we come back to what you were talking about, Karen, about coaching peers to be able to feedback to each other. Because one teacher with 25 children, you're not going to be able to feedback immediately to all 25 at the same time. Or not even on the same day, probably. But if we can coach our students to be able to give feedback to each other and to receive feedback from each other, then that, that eases the load on us. It empowers the students to actually be able to do more, do better. And then it's, you know, that's part of that contributing to that culture that we're creating in our classrooms as well. One of my favorite strategies for that is from Dr. Rich Allen, and he calls it gems and opportunities. So gems are obviously the positives, the things that someone did really well. And the opportunities are almost like questions or have you thought about or could you do this differently next time? And so questions. And But what I love is how he runs this protocol is that what he does is he says to the students, the student maybe presents their work, for instance. They read their story, they show their poster, they give a presentation. And then the student who's given that presentation or showed their work is actually in control of the feedback. So what the student will do is give the children 30 seconds, a minute, and it's timed to think about the feedback. So they actually, they actually say, well, the teacher could say this bit too, but when children start running it, it's beautiful. I'm going to give you two, one minute to think about some opportunities and some gemstones that you could share. And then the child asks the students for that feedback. So they'll say, who's got some gems? And the hands will go up and the child gets to choose who gives them the feedback. And then they say, so you might get two gems and then two opportunities. So I've got two gems. Who's got two opportunities for me? And so the children can feedback the opportunities. And again, the child chooses who gives them the feedback. Now, obviously, when they first start, they choose their friends because <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all want feedback from our friends? Because it's probably going to be a bit softer. <laughs> you can say, all right, I want you to choose when you ask for your gems and your feedbacks, I want you to choose someone that you've never chosen before, or I want you to choose someone that you is not your friend, or I notice that the girls always choose girls and the boys always choose boys. So, you know, just encouraging them to choose somebody different to give them that opportunities and feedback. That's really neat. And it's a neat, you know, like that's something that we can build and we can start teaching. That's that teaching explicitly first and guiding. Yes. And then slowly releasing and allowing the students to take over. And I could imagine that you could then have them doing gems and opportunities in small groups at, at running, running at the same time, which would be really wonderful. I think when we talk about this whole thing with feedback, one of the things that I use is, is the term noticing with my students. And, and I actually do use this in coaching as well. I say, I've noticed 
such and such and such and such. And then and then it's about queuing into you know curiosity. I might offer a suggestion or ask a question. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on there? You know, I've noticed that this is what you're doing with your writing. I'm I'm curious about this. Can you explain what's happening here? And then we can then build it so it comes from a conversation that this feedback builds from. And that can be quite a nice gentle segue into being able to again help people to see that there might be other opportunities for improving what they've got already on the page. Yeah, I love that, Ron Richard. What makes you say that? So to really expand thinking and the questioning and asking those clarifying questions. But you know, it could be something that students could say, it could be something a teacher says. And just tell me more about X, Y, and Z. And give me give me a bigger a framework or information that's going to help. It's fantastic, isn't it? And do you know what, Karen? You know, like we're talking lots about what we're doing as teachers with our students and giving them feedback to to grow and to improve on what they're doing. But one of the another one of the really powerful things that I know has has shifted my practice is actually asking them to give me feedback. And and it's it's an opportunity for me to model how to accept graciously some honest feedback. And, and if we've spent time working on building that culture and we've built up the trust and there's the relationship there, it can be a really powerful, powerful growth process for us as teachers to know what it is that we're doing that works and what we could do differently or better, how we can meet their needs. And sometimes you get these little gems where you didn't even know that that made a difference. Yeah. You know, you, you, it's it's a very powerful process. And I think that, you know, that feedback and feed forward to each other within a, a positive classroom climate is really empowering. And maybe another day we might talk about giving feedback to each other as colleagues and how we might make that a more empowering process to improve outcomes for our students as well. I think there's some similar similarities and some differences as well. Absolutely. I think it's a very brave teacher who asks their students for feedback and a very progressive teacher who does that because it is scary. You're opening yourself up for vulnerability and it is a wonderful role model for our kids. When If we are worried about what they might say, imagine what they are worried about when we give them feedback. And so it's a great, a great way to model that. One of my other favorite strategies is, this, is the post-it note gallery walk. So if children have all their work displayed on their tables, for instance, or on the wall, then you give students two post-it notes, one of each different color. And so one color is for the positive feedback and another color is for questions to consider. So you can do this on science fair night or day. If children have been doing project-based learning projects that students can go around with their post-it notes. And actually parents can do this too if you train parents how to do this, to give the positive feedback and ask questions just to cause further learning. And ultimately that's really what feedback's about, isn't it? It's about that learning journey. It's about growing. It's about stretching ourselves and being open to that. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I started with asking that question that John Hattie asked about what feedback did you receive today to help you in your learning? And when I heard that, it was a question that I asked my daughter several times. And every single time I heard her say, respond with nothing. And it started really getting me thinking. 
And it was interesting because she is what who we call Sporty Spice. She plays many different sports at a top level. And she comes home from sports training and her one-on-one coaching with specific steps, next steps and work-ons to be able to do. And I thought, that's the model that is useful for our children. What are their next steps? What are their work-ons? What are they going to be doing to be able to grow and learn and be the best that we can be? And that is the reason for feedback, to help them grow and learn. We've covered a whole heap in a short amount of time, Karen. There's a a million takeaways from here. What I'd love to say is that people out there, pick one, pick one strategy, pick one place to start. It may just be you doing a little bit of reflection on the classroom climate that you've got and seeing if there's somewhere that you might want to tweak or something that you could do to create a little bit more trust and build those relationships. It might be that you choose to try the gallery walk, which is fantastic. Or just ask a little bit more, what makes you say that? Which I think is one of the most easy, easy tools of Ron Richard's thinking frames that you can pick up and run with or thinking routines. But pick one, see how it goes for you. Add that to your toolbox and then build from there. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Matter podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators. So please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps. And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.